For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn. Taylor Davis, Jason Campbell here today welcoming all of you in to our last show of 2020. Crazy to even say that, but we're going to mix it up a little bit today. We are starting out our episode with a guest today. Obviously, the big news around Auburn football right now, in addition to the fact that it's, you know, the bowl week, we, we'll get to that, don't you worry, but let's be honest, the big news right now, of course, is our new head coach, Brian Harzen. So we've brought in someone who loves to talk about Auburn just as much as we do. We have Director of Broadcast Operations for Auburn Sports Network. Everybody welcome in Brad Law. War Eagle, Brad, thanks for joining us. War Eagle, Taylor, Jason, it's uh, it's an honor to be on with you guys. Uh, anytime you start a podcast with War Eagle, that is a, <laughs> a really positive sign for things to come. So Give, giving me the leadoff slot here, so I've got to I got to be like Ricky Henderson or or Pete Rose or Tim Raines or some of those guys. We got to we got to do this thing the right way. So Absolutely, we'll do our best. I have no doubts about that. Now, I I was texting Jason this week, and I was like, look, let's let's get a guest back on. Obviously, in the thick of football season, when we're you know doing game recaps and and preview and analysis it, sometimes we aren't able to have a guest just because of time constraints but this week I was like let's bring in somebody who can really give some good insight and uh and and participate in the conversation about Harson and Jason was like let's let's get Brad Law so I know this is going to be a great conversation the three of us have a lot to talk about because there is change happening on the plains as we all know Auburn decided to part ways with Gus Malzahn following the Mississippi State game. And after quite a, what felt to us as a very long process, looking for his replacement, Auburn makes the decision and hires former Boise State head coach, Brian Harson. He was their head coach for seven years. He had a 69 and 19 record as their head coach. He won three Mountain West Conference titles his head coach record is 76 and 24, which includes his one season at Arkansas State. Prior to that, he was an offensive coordinator. He played quarterback at Boise State. So this goes back to our conversation we had, Jason, about if this team was going to go the direction of an offensive-minded head coach. So 
Both of you guys go ahead and give me your input. Once the decision was made and after all the speculation about who it was going to be, was was this a surprise for you guys? Because I think to some people, this name kind of came out of left field. I, I say a little bit element of surprise, but not fully surprised. And the reason I okay. say that is because when you think about this, you know, Coach, I mean, Coach, Alan Green and the president, they decided to go against what Auburn has normally done in the past. And what we've always done in the past is we always hire someone that either went to Auburn or mm -hmm. know Auburn or have worked at Auburn at some point in time within their career. They have crossed the path of the Plains. So this time they decided to go outside the box. Uh, they decided to go, you know, they went and got coached from Boise State. And I think the reason they did that is because of the simple fact they're trying to change some things. And, you know, right. the boosters have done things in the past where they've been involved and made a lot of decisions. And I think Alan Green probably got to the point where they probably told him, hey, this is who we want as a head coach and not in Coach Harson and someone else. And they probably said, either you do as we ask or maybe you may not be here. So I think Alan Green and the president probably said, well, hey, we're going to go another way with this. We're going to say, if I'm going to be out, I'm going to do it doing it my way. So knowing that I hired the guy that we wanted to hire, that we feel like fits the program at this standpoint in time, and that we're going to ride or die with this coach. And I actually commend them for that because that takes a lot of heart and a lot of guts to do that. And, uh, and I think for them to do that, I think it shows that, hey, they really took their time on trying to get their right guy. And right. I know there was things that was kind of said out there. I know about this coach turning it down, that coach turned it down. Let's, let's be truthful about it. That many coaches was not offered the Auburn job, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. A lot of that was smoke and mirrors. And I say that because when people, sometimes coaches' names get thrown out there for people to hear just to see if they're going to get what kind of reaction they would get from it. And the fact that they they were they, they were doing this lets me know that that wasn't coming from the people that was really in charge of this coaching hire. This was people putting it out there saying, "Oh, this coach turned it down. This person turned it down." Trying to make Auburn a program look like we don't know what we're doing. And so I think you know they took their time. I think they had five coaches they wanted to go after, and I think they got the guy that they feel like at this standpoint, which our our program needs, is some discipline. You know, and uh, we've had a lot of turnover with transfers and everything at this standpoint that we need to try to rebuild the rebuild it a little bit and get it back home then. So that's just my opinion. Um, yeah. And no, I'm not speaking for anyone. That's just my opinion. I, I, I would echo a lot of that. I mean, I, I think it was a surprise if you were in the line of thinking that Auburn from an athletic department perspective is the same as maybe it was eight years ago or 12 years ago or 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not. Uh, Alan Green is an athletic director, didn't have any previous ties to Auburn, only had one prior stop in the SEC. Um, uh, approaches his role as director of athletics from a, a big picture standpoint that's, that, that's national. Um, you, you know, you take care of local needs, you take care of regional needs, but you, but you do it from a national perspective. And so if you thought about it in those terms um, and, and you believed that, you know, that Alan and President Gouge were going to handle this truly from a national perspective, then, then maybe it shouldn't have been so surprising. Um, right. Coach Harson, Coach Harson had, had mentioned that he wanted to play uh, the – 
the big games. He wants to. He wants the biggest challenges. He wants to play the best competition. And you know, in in his press conference a few days ago, in everything that you hear throughout his years at Boise State, he's about the next challenge. And at Auburn, he has an opportunity to embrace that challenge. And Auburn had an opportunity to go get a guy with a proven track record of success, the likes of which hasn't been seen in an Auburn coaching hire. And we can get into that some more maybe later in the, in the conversation. But uh, um, I think it was a welcome surprise to most Auburn fans that there was truly a national search and, and that a national candidate uh, and a proven winner was chosen. I agree with you. I think sometimes you get into the concern of no disrespect to the Mountain West at all, but competing in the SEC, the SEC West, is certainly no small feat. How do you two think he's going to fare with that transition and that adjustment? Because, look, there is going to be an adjustment period just in terms of, of the drastic change. Heck, Idaho to Alabama, there's so much here that is a stark contrast for him. He's got an unbelievable record, and you can tell that the blueprint is there. But what do you anticipate is going to need to happen for him in terms of adjusting to the competition level of the SEC? Well, you know, for me, I think uh, first and foremost is, you know, trying to identify with the region that you're in. You know, he's yeah. been used to the Midwest and, uh, you know, and out west a little bit. So now you have to adjust yourself to, to, to the South. And I think how you do that is maybe you do try to find a way to keep some of the coaches that are on this staff that are really great recruiters, that are really great coaches, and that uh, has been around the program. Because for me, it's hard to go anywhere and just say, I'm going to start zero at zero. Because mm -hmm. you have to have someone that can relate to these kids, someone that's been there, someone that they kind of know when they see them. And that's for me, like, why I would keep some of the guys on the staff because you know, how do you think Derrick Brown got to Auburn? You know, how do you think Tank, Tank Bisbee got to Auburn? How do you think McLean mm -hmm. and Papo and, you know, K.J. Britt, all these guys come to Auburn? You know, so these are guys that are walking into their homes and we're pulling big-time recruits out of other states to come to Auburn. So, you know, you have to take hold in that. You have to take hindsight in that to say, just because you're reinventing, you know, the program doesn't mean you have to reinvent the whole wheel. And yeah. And everything. So for me, I would start with that standpoint first, solidifying my coaching staff. Um, and then the next thing I would do is how do I get the boosters and how do I get the people to buy into what I'm trying to build here? And it's not going to be it's not going to happen as quick as you you know flip a light switch. This is going to take some time. But at the same time, are you going to give me what I need in order to 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 get to that next level? You start with that standpoint and then you just start to try to I create the next thing for me, number three, is I create competition all the way across the board. No mm -hmm. one has a starting job going into this spring. And how you do that, that's how your team gets better. Like you have those competitions, you make people earn their job. And when you do that, you will see a different result because guys say, well, I can't just be checking out this game because if Buddy gets a chance to play, I may not see the field again. That's what yeah. you want. It's really tough to follow these answers because they're such good <laughs> answers. And I agree with so much of it. Um, I, I would say what, what he needs to do is similar to what he did at Boise, right? So when you go to recruit and you're in Boise, Idaho, all right, what would you do if you were the head coach of a program that has risen to prominence nationally, you've got a national brand, national reputation, you're located in Boise, Idaho, all right? And if you have some experience coaching in Texas, well, to be successful, then your recruiting classes probably need to have a few Texas guys. And you need to go into the state of California, 
right? California mm-hmm. is a super talent-rich state that is closer in proximity than, than Florida or Georgia or Louisiana. Um, and that's exactly what he did. If you look at his recruiting classes at Boise State, they're loaded with California talent. Mm-hmm. Now, will California talent win all the time at Auburn? Auburn's had its most successful uh, runs in program history when it recruited Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. And every now and then you pull talent from other states. But what it tells me is that Coach Harson realized where he needed to pull his talent, and he put together the staff in order to, to maximize that location. Now, there's a ton of high school talent. There's tons and tons and tons of talent in California, but there are also tons and tons and tons of options for, for places for these guys to go play their college football. And right. so many of them over the course of the last seven years chose to go to Boise, Idaho uh, to play for, for, for Brian Harson. So it tells me that his personality is that uh, of a winning recruiter. Guys mm-hmm. like being challenged. They like being pushed. They will be drawn to that. And I think you're looking at an opportunity for him to do something similar is, is what Urban Meyer did. Urban Meyer never coached in the SEC. In fact, he'd only been a head coach for four years, period. He went mm-hmm. from Bowling Green to Utah to Florida, and he won, and he won two national titles at yep. Florida. Um, Bowling Green and Utah. Coach Harson has gone to Arkansas State and Boise State and now Auburn. So the paths are not so dissimilar that you can't draw from one's experience and you know, maybe look at that blueprint for what Coach Harson will try to do uh, you know, in, in the years to come. That's really an excellent point. There's a level to college football right now that requires some out-of-the-box thinking. That's what we got irritated with in the past few seasons with Auburn. It was like as, as times are, are evolving in the landscape of college football as talent, like you mentioned, coming out of high school, these guys are, are more primed to compete early. They just need some fine-tuning and some habit-breaking it seems to me like Harson is that guy, that guy that can think out of the box a little bit. He can get creative, but he still has that blueprint, that foundation of, of hard-nosed, disciplined, tough football. And I think you've got to have those two combined right now, especially when you're taking on a program like Auburn. And I think, you know, you mentioned California, so much talent out of that state. And oftentimes it's under-recruited, especially the Los Angeles area. So many guys come out of that not even having played the position that they then get to college and, and they're molded into that player. So Harson may come in with a different recruiting approach that maybe Auburn and heck, some of the SEC hasn't even tapped into yet. So I'm all for that. But let's talk a little bit about his introductory press conference, Brad. You've already mentioned it. If any listeners out there have not watched it, I highly recommend you do it just because I felt like it gave us a good sense of of who he is and and his personality and his character. And Jason and I have talked a lot this season about what this team seemed like they were lacking when they took the field and obviously we can break down x's and o's and tell you what needed to change play wise and scheme wise but there was also a level of swag and confidence that seemed to be lacking this year and we always talk about the team taking on the persona of their head coach and I think when I watched this introductory press conference I saw a guy who believes in hard work he believes in discipline 
but the man had some confidence about him. I don't know if you two got that sense, but when he was standing up at that podium, he owned the room and he owned it in a very respectable way. And like, I'm going to lead this thing. We are going to be successful and we're going to do it the right way behind hard work and discipline. That was the sense that I got just from his, you know, one hour introductory press conference. Obviously there's a lot for us to still see from him, but just in the little bit that the Auburn fan base has been able to be exposed to him, what kind of first impression or takeaways have you both had just from what we've heard from him so far and, and his philosophy on the task at hand? I think there are a lot of things evident um, in that press conference, including his uh, commitment to discipline, mm-hmm. um, the edge and the competitiveness that he has, I mean, he's, and his thoroughness. Right. I, he, he gave a speech that you might find uh, during the summer of an election year at either the Republican or Democratic National Convention. It was a multi-point, bullet point speech. It addressed some concerns. It addressed the fact that a lot of Auburn fans, the casual fan, may not know a whole lot about Brian Harson at the point of the press conference. So sure. he was thorough. He was detailed. Uh, he laid out the, the kinds of demands that he'll have for his players. Uh, I think all those things are really, really evident. He wasn't there to to joke around. Mm-hmm. Um, he said multiple times that it's going to be a challenge and there's going to be a lot of hard work involved. And so I think he set the expectation right there that he's going to be hard-nosed, he's going to have an edge. Um, but I also think that there's, as we mentioned before, that track record of success. I don't think he'll come in and change anything about his day-to-day mindset and approach from that which he implemented at at Boise State Uh, and I think there's a track record of success that all those things that are that are evident in his press conference yield successful results Mm -hmm. that's well said Brad I I definitely agree with a lot that you just said for me is your first impression is always the, the most important impression and I think uh you know the way that he got here he got the flight you know, his wife and, and everything, and they show up to the press conference, and he stood up there, he answered all the questions, and, you know, not one of them was a short answer, you know, he really elaborated on each question, because he wanted to make sure that the people are hearing, like, hey, even if you agree with me being your head coach or not, like, I'm going to do what it takes from a collective standpoint to make sure I put the right people in the right place so that this program can get to where you want it to go, and, we only can do that at this standpoint. What sense would it make for us as a fan base or even former players to fight against any decision that is made right now? Like the best thing for us to do is all to get on board and support the decision that was made and get behind this guy and try to help him, welcome him to Auburn and make him feel welcome so that he feel comfortable doing everything that he needs to do and that he's getting the tools that he needs. And, you know, and, and the next thing was they kept asking him so many questions about Nick Saban. I hated that. And I was just like, why are we worried about so much about Nick Saban? We, we, you know, I'm just like, there's so many other teams in the SEC that mm-hmm. we have to compete against. I was just like, everyone in the country already knows the Iron Bowl is a huge deal. Like you, anyone that sets foot at Auburn, whether you went to school at Auburn or whether you were born in the state of Alabama, you know about the Iron Bowl. Like mm-hmm. it's not a secret. So why, why so many questions about Nick Saban? I, I honestly think a lot of coaches, if they were offered a job, if you turn down the Auburn job because you're afraid of Nick Saban, then you're not the coach for Auburn in the first place. Right. Because yeah. you got to have some type of confidence to say, hey, I don't care who we're going against. 
I believe I can get the job done. And a lot of guys, they do shy away from the job because of the saving effect. Any job in the SEC, they shy away from because of the saving effect. But those are not the coaches you need in the SEC, first and foremost. Like, you can't be afraid of playing anyone. Saving coaches, he doesn't play the game. So what you do is you go out and you recruit SEC players. You teach your players a game of football. You teach them how to go out and fight and compete at a high level. And you can and you do just like Auburn has done in the past. I think we beat Saban more than any other SEC school in, in the, any other SEC school in the last, I guess, 10 years that's faced him because we don't fear Alabama. We don't fear Saban where everyone else does. So Coach Harson coming in here, I – if he doesn't feel fear saving, that is well, he he's the right guy. Because for me, I just get so upset with all the Nick Saban questions because it was this, it just kind of drove me crazy. Well, and that goes back to, I mean, how many times have we talked about, you know, for years, the the media loves to say, well, as long as Auburn wins the Iron Bowl, it's a successful season. I don't think that's the case. I, it certainly shouldn't be for Auburn fans that really know what they're talking about. Like, that is not the basis. I understand college football rivalries mean a lot, and the Iron Bowl is the biggest. Without doubt, it is the – it has the most um, – heart and stake and it often has national implications but that is not the determining factor of the quality of a season the caliber of a team the caliber of a coach I hate that that's how we're measuring up other coaches how how many times can Lane Kiffin beat Saban how many times did Hugh Freeze beat Saban when he was at Ole Miss why is that the basis to determine the caliber of a coach and I even thought the way Harson handled the questions when they were presented he said look I, of course, I have respect for Saban. I have respect for the Iron Bowl. I know this rivalry means a lot to a lot of people, but every game we play is important. Every game we play, we're going to play lights out. We are going to play like it's our rivalry. And truth be told, so many of these SEC matchups have become rivalries. Our game with Georgia, our game with LSU, like these games do hold so much magnitude. I don't think you put all that pressure on it. And I already thought he handled that in the way in which the team needs to handle it as well. Of course, that Iron Bowl means a lot, but you better have as much heart every time you take that field for this program to head in the direction that we all want to see it go. Yeah, and to, to piggyback off that, too, I, he said that in his press conference, football is a developmental game and so is life. This principle can be applied to any area of life, right? If you have a high school reunion coming up, in three weeks and you're going to try to lose 30 pounds before that high school reunion, (laughs) not going to happen. It's not going to happen in that three week period of time. (laughs) However, however, if you say, you know, two years from now, three years from now, I have a goal and I'm going to work daily and I'm going to embrace the work that it takes daily. I'm going to embrace the challenge daily. There's a commitment um, that is more important than doing things because it's part of a routine. Daily commitment to discipline allows you to have success when an opportunity comes. It's not about seeing the goal at the end and saying, how can I do just enough to get to that goal at the end? It's about a daily commitment, a daily discipline. And, you know, that's applicable uh, if it's an 18 to 22 year old playing college football. It's applicable to someone who's 45 and, and an eye on retirement. Um, in, in, you know, another decade or so, it is applicable to any walk of life. 
a daily commitment to discipline is much more important and yields a whole lot more success than, you know, something that's goal-based or destination-based at the very end. 100%. And that really has always been the foundation of Auburn football, and somehow mm-hmm. it, it just kind of deviated from it a little bit. Slowly over time, it seemed like that kind of went away. And even some of the losses, Jason and I have talked about this so many times, some some of the losses this season, it, it wasn't necessarily the fact that we lost, it was the way in which we lost. And you could just see some some foundational cracks in terms of the viewpoint of hard work, the viewpoint on discipline, the viewpoint on team. And I think that Harson is going to reinvigorate all of those mentalities back into this team. But I, I want to talk a couple specifics on the field. Uh, I've got a question for each of you. So I, I love already that he's, you know, hit the ground running, which he obviously has to do. There's a lot of work to be done in this situation, but he's had a Zoom meeting with the team. He's been in contact with some of our early signees for this recruiting class, letting them know, you know, his intention, the future, his philosophy. So they're included in all this change, which is such a, a, an imperative you know, aspect of this because he's coming in at such a challenging time. But of course, with bowl week, you know, he told the team, you've, you've got a job to do. You give those coaches your undivided attention. You focus on the task at hand and you win that ball game. We'll start talking about next, next year after that. Um, But looking ahead to next year, you know, like I mentioned, this guy has a background. He played quarterback. He was an offensive coordinator at, at Texas and, and at Boise. Um, so he's an offensive-minded guy, and and Brad, I'll, I'll get you to elaborate on this because Jason and I have talked about it so much. You know, it was obvious the offense was was certainly an issue for us this season, and, and a lot of it, uh, you know, was still some habits that have yet to be broken by Bo Nix and, you know, his inability to commit to the pocket, to step up into the pocket, some poor decisions, difficulties with accuracy. Uh, but there were also some issues in terms of the supposed creativity and versatility we were supposed to see in this offense. We anticipated we'd see a lot more tight end usage in the pass game. And by the end of the season, you just expected run game with a few screen passes. And, and so it became a little bit too predictable um, for this offense. So when you bring in some some fresh eyes, a fresh mind, and with an offensive background like Harson has – what do you anticipate we're going to see for the offensive development or what do you think we should uh, try and implement back into the offensive side of the ball? Uh, Offensive line recruiting. I think you'll see a renewed emphasis on offensive line recruiting because I I think Auburn had issues either with uh, depth or injuries on the Mm -hmm. offensive line or, you know, things didn't go the way that, that Auburn wanted them to go as a whole in offensive line recruiting for the last three or four years. And that it's really hard to overstate how much that impacts what a team is able to do. Offensive coordinator playbooks open up drastically. The potential plays you can call, your options for, you know, even for for a given play where you might have two or three options, and Jason can talk about this as a quarterback, um, you know, let's say you have three or four options on any one given passing play. Offensive line breakdown very quickly can take away all but maybe one safety option um, from, from that play that's called. So I think that's where it'll start uh, because the teams that are, are doing the best job offensively, a lot of the teams we're going to see in the playoff uh, have those 
offensive lines that allow their quarterbacks time to read the field, uh, to, to make the right reads, to check down if they need to, to allow receivers time to get separation, to allow running backs to get three, four, five yards down the field before first contact, or make a move, use their vision, make their first move uh, before that that window starts to close. So right. I think it all, really, there's so much of an emphasis on the offensive line, and I think you'll see a renewed, vigorous commitment to offensive line recruiting. Okay, so Jason, you know, continue this conversation for me, you know, in terms of what you anticipate we're going to see added back into the offense, but also um, specifically in regards to Bo Nix. You know, like you said, I don't think anybody has a solidified starting job next season, especially as we have discussed, we signed a four-star quarterback as an early signee. So there will be question marks surrounding that quarterback position, but you bring in Harson, who was a former quarterback. And I think there's a unique benefit to that for Bo. We talked all season just about, he's got that raw athleticism, but he needs the right person developing him into a college caliber, an SEC caliber quarterback. We have yet to see that from him. What do you anticipate this situation could bring for Bo Nix's development, having a coach who played his position? Well, uh, you know, that's a great question because the thing is, when you're a player, you you, you have to buy into what the coach is teaching you. Mm-hmm. And that and that's number one, I, I believe, for Bo. Um, like I say, you know, coming out of high school, he was highly touted and, you know, his dad played at Auburn. So when he got to Auburn, you know, it always, almost was like the red carpet was always already laid out for him. And I feel like, you know, they have to get to a point where they make him feel like he's earning it. And when you feel like you earn it, then other guys see it and they start to rally around you. So if they did was to open up a a competition, like I said, for me, it's for everybody. And the best man wins. That's at every position. And I I think once that happens, and that's how you set the foundation. Um, When I think about, you know, Brad said the offensive line, totally agree. You know, everything has to be built from the interior outward. That's the only way you win in football. You got to control the line of scrimmage first and foremost before anything else happens. Uh, For me, the next thing is we need to get some receivers, I I believe, that 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 are really good route running receivers. You know, Mm -hmm. you think about it, Swartz was a fast guy a track guy that we say, Hey, you know, put him out there and, and, you know, we tell them go here and go there. But if you watch NFL football, you ever watch Devontae Adams that played for the, the Green Bay Packers. This guy footwork is incredible. He's not the fastest guy, but his routes, the way he runs routes, he always seems to get open. And I think mm-hmm. that's the thing for me is these guys just learning, like getting guys that know how to work the middle of the field and know how to get in and out of the turns on, on, on route running. Like Seth, it's a great receiver going up, getting the ball. But I think where Seth can improve it is in his route running and getting himself open on other than just go balls. And when you think about the next step for me is the tight ends have got to get involved in the game plan. I've been saying this for years. And any offense that is very successful, high school, college, or pro, the tight end is very involved in the offense. And it makes the defense have to defend the whole field. Because if you got a tight end that can take up the middle of the field, then safeties and linebackers have to pay attention to him and not disregard him. So, you know, I I just think there's things that can be definitely improved upon on the offensive side of the ball that can make things change drastically because it's not that big of a change. It's just changing a few things and then, you know, teaching Bo, getting in there and and talking with Bo and saying, hey, Bo, these are the things I think if you want to be a really good quarterback 
and you want to be known, these are things that you need to do to help improve your game. And that is one, let's work on your footwork. Let's teach you about pocket awareness uh, and everything. And then I think the number two thing is, I just need you to trust me on this. That's the biggest thing in all of this is, is trusting the next person that is teaching you. Coach Borges came in and Coach Borges' exact words to me were, son, you've done some really good things. You just haven't been in the position to just where everyone feels involved. And what I mean by that is he wanted everybody to feel like at any point during the game that they could get the ball. And that's when our receivers had a, such a really good year. I had a really good year. Our running backs had a whole lot of fun and had a good year because they was just involved more than just running the football. Like, he really knew how to take the talent and how to expand it and get the most out of it. I wish I had him for three years. But, you know, it just wasn't the case. So, for me, it's not that big of a fit. It's just uh, getting guys to buy in and, uh, and believing in what they're trying to, trying to teach them. I completely agree with you. And and just from the little bit that we've heard and seen from Coach Harson thus far, I, I think he is going to hold them to that expectation and that standard that nobody is playing at the level in which they could as of right now. There is certainly room for improvement across the board, and we look forward to seeing how all of it's going to shape up. Obviously, after this bowl game, a lot of decisions will continue to be made in regards to the coaching staff. More recruiting has to take place. So I really think it's going to be a lot of movement happening uh, over the next few months, so we will certainly keep an eye on all of it. Bradlaw, thank you so much for joining us today, giving us your input on this first big change Uh, the first of many surrounding this Auburn football program. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely, Taylor. Uh, Jason, it was my pleasure. Thank you for the invite and uh, just appreciate the work that you guys do. Well, certainly awesome to hear from Brad and talk a little bit more about Coach Harson, but we've got a bowl game to play this week, people. So let's go ahead and preview that one. It's kind of weird that, you know, we're still (laughs) in season and no one's even talking about the game because of so many other bigger stories. But we are set to play number 14 Northwestern on Friday in the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. Obviously, Kevin Steele is currently the interim head coach. So he is the head man in charge for this game. Brian Harson said he would be in attendance, but obviously he will not be coaching this game. But Kevin Steele actually said, that things are going to be kind of as normal. He'll be running the defense. Chad Morris will be running the offense. And in terms of game plan, situational decisions, those will fall on him. But he feels very confident that the way they've been handling things, you know, in game is is going to be able to continue this week. So let's talk about this matchup because it certainly could be an interesting one and definitely a tough one. Look, I watched this Northwestern team in the Big Ten Championship against Ohio State, and I fully expected them to win that game. Like, they – They have such an impressive defense. If Bo Nix was struggling this season, this is certainly going to be a tough one for him because they get after you. They only have two losses on this season to Michigan State, 29 to 20, and then obviously Ohio State, 22 to 10 in the conference title game. They were up at at halftime. So if uh, if they had been able to maintain that momentum that they had in the first half, I, I certainly think they would have walked away with that title. But their head coach, Pat Fitzgerald, this is his 15th season. So where Auburn is in the midst of a lot of change, this Northwestern team has a lot of continuity. And to a certain degree, that's that's incredibly beneficial. But they're a, they're a defense first team. They only scored over 30 points once all season. Offense is not the name of their game. But their defense has found ways to pull out wins. 
Um, their longtime defensive coordinator, Mike Hankwitz, has some famili- familiarity with Kevin Steele. Kevin really sung his praises along with Pat Fitzgerald saying this is a very well-coached team. They're going to put very disciplined, um, great execution play on the field. But this defense ranks fifth nationally, allowing just 15.5 points per game, and they have a very strong pass rush. They lead the nation, allowing only five yards per pass attempt. They've only allowed four passing plays of more than 30 yards all season, and they've come up with 14 interceptions in their eight games this season. So this is a defense that will get after you. They're going to put pressure on Bo. They're going to try and force those habits of his that we've seen all season, get him out of the pocket, get him trying to throw on the run, and come up with some interceptions on the back end. So it certainly will be imperative that Bo plays a clean game. Honestly, I would just rely on the run. I would let Tank go over and over and over again because the weak spot for this defense is against the run. They allow 4.7 yards per carry, so this certainly could be the area in which Tank wins the game on his own. Honestly, if the offensive line can create some run games for him and he's the shifty, hard-nosed running back that we've seen this season, he 100% could be the difference maker because it's going to come down to defense versus defense. Neither quarterback has showcased all that much um, consistency this season. So I think if Auburn can run the ball well, this one could be a win for us. Yeah, that's that's the key. Uh, you broke it down extremely well. Uh, you think about this ball game uh... – I've been knowing the Northwestern team for a while only because my financial advisor's son is a starting safety case. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, you know, I've had some, some some inclements to watch them play over the last couple of years, and it's crazy how time flies because I remember when he was just a little kid mm-hmm. uh, when I first met his dad and he became a financial advisor. Now he's about to graduate college. I'm like, jeez. But, uh, you know, they've always been a tough, tough football team, and, you know, if they had any type of offense to ever go along with the defense that they have displayed over the years, like this team would be playing in Rose Bowls and Orange Bowls and everything else. It's just the fact that their offense has always been their Achilles heels over the years. So, but they're a tough team. They could have beat Ohio State. Ohio State beat them by running the football, like mm-hmm. you said. And I think the reason that average per rush kind of goes up a little bit, they've done well against other teams, but because Ohio State had over 300 some yards rushing, against them, you know, it, it hurt that average a little bit. So, you know, we, we got to come in this game plan with our minds ready to go. Uh, you know, the last three years we've hurt ourselves in bowl games. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so this is one UCF lat, the year before, and then last year, you know, we ended up losing to Minnesota, you know, after coming off a big win against Alabama. Yep. You know, we haven't, we haven't ended the season as well to close the door on a positive note, which gives you momentum and energy going into – into January where you start to train and work out for spring ball and get ready for the next season. So this game can be a momentum rider, uh, especially, you know, if some of these guys are back and if some of them are not back and if it's some coaches that may be back and some that's not. Um, you know, it's a lot of uncertainty, not just for the players, but the coaches too. Mm-hmm. So guess what? Everybody just bond together and say, hey, we're going to do this for each other. Yeah. Uh, this is our last opportunity to be together as this coaching staff and as this unit of players before we all separate. So, you know, there, there's positive you just try to take out of it. But for me, though, it's another opportunity to play the game you love. Yeah. There are teams that want to play because there are guys on some of those teams that wanted to play. But because some of their teammates were were not wanting to play or whether, you know, the school decided for them not to play, 
some of those kids may have been their last college game right and they didn't get a chance to get a chance to to in, embrace a bowl game so you know you're playing in sunny weather you're in florida like there's a lot of worse places you could be right now and uh you know so you're starting your year off in a sunny sunshine yep. state so go get it done yeah I, I totally agree and i think look to some degree you could view this as a a bit of a tryout or a showcase, you know, your new head coach, this is his first time really watching you with the eyes of I'm inheriting this talent. What do I want to do with it? Like he's going to be what? Yes. He's familiar with Auburn football. I'm sure he's been watching tape and film and already, you know, getting his, his attack plan going, but this is his first opportunity to watch a an actual game competition environment with the talent that he is about to take over. He's going to be watching everybody and wanting to come after them with a fine-tooth comb to implement his strategy going into next season. So all these guys, yes, you're playing for this win. You're playing for the coaching staff that's on the sideline that's gotten you to this point. But you also need to view this as an opportunity to prove something to your new head coach who's going to be watching you real closely. So I think that that should serve as a bit of motivation as well. But you mentioned our difficulties in bowl games in years past, and unfortunately that has been the case. Even when we've gone in with, heck, all the momentum on our side in some years past, we've lost three of the last four bowl games. And conversely, Northwestern has won three consecutive bowl games, four of their last five. So this is a team that plays up in postseason, and Auburn sometimes has stepped backwards. So they've got to go into it with the right mentality, and I just think they've got to ground and pound. you got to run the ball. you got to run take. you got to run whoever the heck is back there and really try and beat them on the ground because I think that that's certainly an area of their defense that we could exploit. And then our defense could be able to have a big day. They don't necessarily have like that staple running back that's just going to like dominate everybody. They've got like three guys that we'll probably see, none of which have had a game over, I think like 200 yards or something. Uh, And their quarterback, Peyton Ramsey, he's only throwing 60% completion percentage right now. He's had eight interceptions to nine touchdowns. So this is certainly an area that our defense could take advantage of. I'm calling for Owen or, or, you know, Jacoby McClain, somebody come up with a a scoop and score or an interception. Like I want to play lights out defense. And I think this is an offense that they very well could do it against. What do you want to see from Bo in this game? I think Bo needs to come out and be efficient. That's what I think. And what I mean by that is, can he stay in the pocket when he needs to stay in the pocket? And, you know, there are there times to escape the pocket? Yes, there are times to escape the pocket and, and make plays. But I want to see him get to the point where when he escaped, that he's not running 20 yards backwards, mm-hmm. you know, and then trying to, you know, regain yardage and find someone open. Like, you know, that's just not – playing good football at that standpoint. I think if he gets to the point where he understands the pocket awareness a lot better, and I think, uh, you know, they do get him outside the pocket also on a couple mm-hmm. of movements and everything just to get him going early in the ball game where he feels like he's a part of it. And Bo's best games he's played in has come off of QB runs, yeah. uh, whether it's a read or whether it's, a, a you know, a quarterback, you know, design keep. You know, that's when he kind of he kind of feeds it. He kind of feeds off of that when he does things with his feet. Right. So. I just think he just needs to not try to make every play. And I think that's gotten him in a lot of trouble this year, uh, trying to make every play. Last year, it got him in a lot of trouble. If he can understand, like, look, I don't have to make every single play during the game. Mm-hmm. I just need to make the ones that are there, and then I'm going to have a couple of extraordinary plays that's going to make the difference. And that's football right? and uh, and, and everything. So 
So this could be a critical game for him. It is a critical game for him, like you said, because, you know, he is on watch as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, from the new coach, you do have a, you know, a dual threat star quarterback that's coming in. And, you know, like I know now, these kids don't redshirt anymore. Right. And so this kid comes in, he's going to want an opportunity to compete. And then if Bo has got to show, you know, the team and show the new coaching staff, like, hey, I'm still your guy. Like, you know, like I'm still here. Yeah. And uh, and everything. So, you know, this is going to be interesting. This is this is probably the first quarterback that Auburn has signed uh, in the last, you know, Bo is like the type of guy that was already going to come to Auburn. Mm-hmm. Let's just be honest. Like his dad went there. He was born in diapers, wearing Auburn on his diapers, <laughs> and all the way through high, all the way through high school. You yeah. know, so he was already gonna come to Auburn. But this is the first time we really signed a quarterback recruit in a long time, yeah. probably about the last four or five years that we've actually signed someone of this caliber of the kid that we have coming in. Yeah. And um, and he plays in the state of Texas and. That's a huge state for football, mm-hmm. and he plays against a lot of tough competition. You know, the record that he has is, you know, is remarkable. And uh, and and so you know he's gonna come in here wanting to push and wanting to play. And uh, so for me, it's just about just control what you can control. Yeah. And I think that's the thing Bo needs to understand. I can't control all these other things. Let me learn how to control what I can control. But that starts with yourself. Mm-hmm. And you know, and 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 sometimes it's your body language. And, you know, those things are important and how you get along with your teammates, how you become a team player, you know, all those things got to come into play for him to get these guys to continue to want to rally behind him going into this next season, because it's a critical, critical offseason for him as well as a lot of guys, but especially in that quarterback position. Yeah, for sure. And, and look, even if, you know, what's happening right now and and him having been the lone guy for two years, even if that changes, this is a guy that could be a very pivotal piece of the offense moving forward. I was actually talking to my dad recently and he pointed out a good comparison. Bo Nix is a lot like Taysom Hill. They're Mm, very athletic dudes with great run ability that almost surprise you. Like you don't expect him to run as hard as he does and to be able to evade pressure whenever he's on runs. Now, when he's escaping the pocket, that's a different situation. But I think that you could have some really impactful packages for him that you bring him in strategically to implement that run style that very few people are going to be able to stop. But when he's in there consistently and he doesn't have the balance of a pass attack and and the accuracy that he needs to have, he can't just scramble and try and make something with his legs every freaking play. Defense is key key in on it, and they know how to affect him. So I think if you do, whether he develops that accuracy in the offseason because he's working with the right dude, that very well could happen. But he's got to have that dimension of his game added in. Otherwise, you know, bringing in someone else who maybe has that skill set, but then utilizing Bo with his own packages and you bring him in for certain goal line, red zone, things like that. Like he's very effective in that way. I thought that was a really good comparison. So anyway, I think that there's, there's great things to come. We've, we've got the pieces and we're going to see how they're shaped under new leadership. It's, it's kind of going to be a fresh start for all of these guys. So it'll, it'll be exciting to see it shape out, but They've got one more job to do, and I, I look 
look forward to seeing them close out the season. Hopefully they can do it with a win. But that's going to do it for us this week on Believe in Everything Auburn. Everybody, we hope you had a great Christmas. We haven't spoken since then. We hope everyone enjoyed the holiday season, and we hope that you're going to have a very happy new year. We are all so happy to see 2020 get to the rear view and uh, look ahead to 2021, especially for this Auburn football program. There are high hopes that 2021 is going to be a big year, a year of improvement and positivity and more steps in the right direction, and hopefully they get it started with this bowl game. So everyone, thank you so much for listening to us. Make sure you subscribe so you get a notification every time we release an episode. Jason and I will be back next week to welcome you into 2021 and recap this bowl game. So make sure you don't miss it. War Eagle, everybody. War Eagle. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.